<laughs> and I want to just spread it all around. If somebody's like, you want to hey, share, yep. what do you think about that? I'm like, well, pull up a chair. Let me tell you all about it. And let me talk to you about wood. Yes. Let me go on about, you know, different tannins and, and, you know, different characteristics of, you know, drill oh. bits that go for which kind of wood and um, <laughs> then divert from, from that topic into something else that's very in-depth. Yeah. So I do think that is an advantage because oh, of course. I have a very well-rounded um, just pool of a whole bunch of mostly useless knowledge until I find that one person that's like, oh, that actually you, needs you, your knowledge. What do you know about this? I'm like, oh, I've been saving this inputted knowledge in the back <laughs> of my brain for 30 years and I'm going to tell you all about it. Get ready to receive. Yes, mm-hmm. you're going to get a crash course master's in that topic. On this episode of Hacking Autism, the podcast all about making autism your unfair advantage, I sit down with Ashley from our previous episode entitled Active and Passive Touch, and we discuss what it means to grow up with high-functioning autism, and furthermore, what does it mean to raise a son also on the spectrum. And so our conversation is varied and colorful, filled with lots of laughs. Without further ado... This is Adulting with Asperger's. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Why, thank you, Kelsey. Our paths crossed a few months ago. Our initial conversation was revolved around your son and your son being on the spectrum. We discussed active and passive touch. Then that conversation, that relationship grew and evolved to the place where, you know, we still continue to hang out and enjoy each other's company. And then I I posed the question to you, Ashley, do you think that you are also on the spectrum yourself? And tell me a little bit about that conversation on your half of the equation. Well, I always knew that me and Bruce were so similar and that I was always the one that understood him on different levels that, you know, I just chopped that up to while I'm his mom. Mm-hmm. I understand my yep. son. I didn't really you know, think of that as maybe I understand him so well because maybe I'm on the spectrum myself. And then in retrospect, looking at my life um, through school and through family and just growing up and just how kind of oddball I was compared to everybody else and the Mm -hmm. things that I would do. And it didn't bother me to be different. I didn't think that that was a weakness. I, Mm -hmm. I viewed it as a strength. Sure. Um, the whole sticks and stones may break my bones Mm -hmm. thing. Um, I was raised on that. So I was like, well, not everybody's going to like you and that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm just still going to be me. I'm not going to try to change myself. Um, you know, and I, and I brought my son up in the same way. So that he can appreciate his unique strengths in the way that he is. Mm -hmm. And that though he may be different, and yes, there's a label for it now as Mm -hmm. ASD, um, that that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you should, you know, not embrace. Mm -hmm. So it kind of was a huge weight lifted for me because it gave me an explanation of, oh, well, that is why I'm a little bit strange. Sure. A little different than others. A little odd, Mm -hmm. which I loved about myself. I still do. Um, not everybody might feel that way, but that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I think that's how the two of us got along in terms of like the depth that you would go into on any given topic, mm-hmm. um, you know, naturopathic cures or, um, treatments when my husband was sick or how to deal with the dogs and whatnot. 
um, the level of detail that you went into on any of those topics, I was like, oh, dot, 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 I wonder hmm, <laughs> if her son's on the spectrum. I wonder if she's too. So that's kind of fun how that evolved and progressed over time, uh, that Absolutely. realization. So when it comes to, you know, now identifying as being a person that is, in fact, on the spectrum, how do you see autism as your unfair advantage? Um, well, like the analytical part, mm -hmm. for sure, because I like to really, you know, if I'm looking at something as a, as a topic or something that intrigues me, I want to, you know, research that. Yep. Input, input, input as yep. much as I can. <laughs> and I want to just spread it all around. If somebody's like, you hey, share. Yep. what do you think about that? I'm like, well, pull up a chair. Let me tell you all about it. And let me talk to you about wood. Yes. Let me go on about, you know, different tannins and, and, you know, different characteristics of, you know, drill oh. bits that go for which kind of wood and, um, <laughs> then divert from, from that topic into something else that's very in depth. Yep. So I do think that is an advantage because oh, of course I have a very well-rounded, um, just pool of a whole bunch of mostly useless, knowledge until I find that one person that's like, oh, that actually you, needs you, your knowledge. What do you know about this? I'm like, oh, I've been saving this inputted knowledge in the back <laughs> of my brain for 30 years and I'll, I'm going to tell you all about it. Get ready to receive. Yes. You're mm -hmm. going to get a crash course masters in that topic. Um, you know, it is a challenge because I do wonder from, from one topic to another. Mm -hmm. So it's great to have somebody else that can keep that pace sure. in a conversation mm -hmm. that will pick up on that and then kind of help lead me back, mm -hmm. which I think you are excellent at in our oh, conversations. Well, thank you. Um, you know, you keep me on target, which is amazing <laughs> and wonderful and much appreciated. Because there, we developed hand signals yes, for one another. Yeah. we. I mean, we had a timer there for a little bit and that yep. was working well. So yep. like Kelsey or Ashley, we're, we're now close to 10 minutes yeah. uh, on that given topic. But What's really fun about our friendship is I absolutely get why you can get to 10 minutes on a given topic about mm -hmm. how to assemble a desk the most effective way possible so that a forklift could pick it up if needed. You know, you never know. <laughs> and um, so I want to go back to living, growing up without that diagnosis. How old are you at this current time? I am 35. I will be 36 in a few months. Okay. So 36 and having that realization of, okay, I think this label does in fact identify with my personality, the way my mind works. Did you find the label to be helpful or restrictive as you started to internalize like, Hey, I might actually be on the spectrum like my son, Bruce. Um, well for me, I mean, I understand there's varying degrees of autism, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, but for me, I just more thought of it as, well, you know, that's just a, you know, kind of a label that mm -hmm. they put on a specific group of personalities of people. Sure. Um, especially very high functioning ASD, um, like me and my son and yourself. So I just think of it as it being just my personality type mm -hmm. as opposed to a disorder or, sure. or, you or know being I mean? broken in um, some way yes, yeah. or, you know, mm -hmm. atypical brain, you mm -hmm. know, I think that maybe we're just using a little more of our brain sure. than, than the majority. So that doesn't make us atypical, but not in a deficit. Sure. Way. So do you think your life would have been different if you had that 
quote-unquote label or that diagnosis earlier. I mean, like, you, you would still be the same person, mm-hmm. but would you have lived your life differently if you had been diagnosed at 18 versus, um, you know, having that realization more, you know, within the last year? Um, I don't really think so. I think that the only thing that would change is the, maybe the push of big pharma for medication to manage different things, you know, like. You think you would have done more medicine? I think it would have, I think it would have been pushed more on me. Sure. With that label, like, oh, well, here's this. We have a pill for that. Sure. And here's a magical solution. Everybody wants to throw, you know, different ADD medications Mm -hmm. and, and other things at you. So I'm grateful that I didn't have that back then. Um, that diagnosis or, you Mm -hmm. know, that knowing of myself, because, you know, I don't think that that's something that needs to be medicated away. Sure. And just like, I don't opt for medication for my son Mm -hmm. who also has accompanying ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think there's different methods to go around that with nutrition and health and diet and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, as well as just simple learning skills that Mm -hmm. are specific to the way we operate and think. Mm-hmm. learning those interpersonal skills, social skills, um, self-awareness skills. Yeah. It's, it's more behavior, you know, learning instead of magical pill. Let's make this just go away or make it more subtle. Well, and I would agree with that as well, because uh, although I was diagnosed at 15 and misdiagnosed as having ADHD and ADD when they were separate, mm-hmm. I think it was late enough in life that I was in regular school and I had to figure out how to swim with the other kids, you know, or swim with the other fish, metaphorically speaking. And therefore it was not, I, I didn't use it as something to lean back on and say, well, you're going to have to excuse my being a jerk because I have autism Mm -hmm. Um, and not saying that that happens for everyone, but I have seen kids that get diagnosed early, sometimes they really rely heavily on that label of like sometimes getting away with murder because, you know, Johnny is special. And so I think in our situation, getting diagnosed later in life, I mean, in my teens and yours and your thirties, I think it required us to be comfortable with ourselves in a way that um, if you get diagnosed immediately, it might... It causes a different path, I think. It does, and it causes a social stigma, which already adds to a person who's socially awkward to begin with. Sure. So then everybody else is like, oh, well, you're the, the Aspie kid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's with my son. Or you go to the go to the special room yes. for part of the day. Yeah, da, da, da. yeah. And, um, you know, he was walking to the hallway, and some older kids were like, autistic. And they were yelling that at him. Horrible. And before he even... Knew he, he himself. He didn't even have the diagnosis or didn't even know. Sure. He was like, Mom, what's autistic? Sure. And I'm like, well, that's really horrible that somebody's, you know, yelling that as a derogatory name-calling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd like to <laughs> talk to those kids for a minute. But anyway. Um, if you can read between the lines there. Yeah. And so I don't want Bruce to use that as an excuse. Um, I don't think any... Any kid that's being diagnosed, you know, in grade school or even in high school to use that as an excuse for, um, you know, different behaviors or like a, 
just, yeah, just a general excuse of, well, you know, I have this, so I don't have to, I don't have to do that like everybody else, or I'm not accountable in the same way that everybody else is, or I deserve special treatment because of this. I think it's really important that, you know, depending on your level of, you know, functionality on the, Mm -hmm. on the spectrum that you, especially as a growing person, as a young child or, you know, young kid, that you get, you know, forced into those kind of uncomfortable situations sure. so that you know how to grow in that way. So, you know, hey, something's missing here. This isn't working. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out how I'm going to do this that works for me mm-hmm. so I can still be a player mm-hmm. in, you know, this classroom or this school or, you know, my church group, whatever it may be, any social type of situation. Um, you know, it's important for personal growth and it's important for self-esteem and it's important to not use whatever affliction. We all have different things in our life yeah, that are, all that are challenges, challenges. Mm-hmm. and struggles. So let's not use those things as a means to be Get coddled. It. Yeah. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's attack those things and mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, this is how I am. So this is simply how I do it because I'm the way I am. That's different from you, but... So knowing what you know now about uh, your life, not having that diagnosis or like that self-awareness of like, I guess the official label of being on the spectrum, being the mother of someone that's on the spectrum, you had mentioned that you didn't need to be labeled earlier because it made you who you are. Your son has an earlier diagnosis, much earlier than 36, Mm -hmm. and is going through school. So given your experience in your upbringing not being diagnosed and kind of embracing who you were, what would you do differently with your son with the resources available to him? Or would you choose for him to not utilize those resources because it made you more self-sufficient? Um, well, I think that the resources are vastly different now sure, than they definitely. were 20 years ago mm-hmm. because, um, you know, special education classrooms were for severely mm-hmm. developmentally challenged people, sure. um, cerebral palsy, you know, people with very, very strong mm-hmm. um, disabilities that needed a separate classroom. So special education now is people with very high functioning autism and ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it's in a separate group than the people with severe, you know, mental and physical issues. So it doesn't, it's not all in the same pool like it was sure. back then. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's going into, into that class. Um, you know, like kids used to say, oh, you should have rode the short bus. And that was like a derogatory thing back in the day because I, re- we I all, remember we all know like that. the mm-hmm. short bus comment. Yeah. Um, so different things like that. But if you're just going, I mean, Bruce has the opportunity to go into a smaller group setting, yeah. which is more comfortable for him so that he can do his work mm-hmm. and he can converse with an adult teacher, mm-hmm. which he's way more comfortable with mm-hmm. than his peers. Sure. Because he's so intelligent and mm-hmm. he's so inquisitive and he's so input driven, mm-hmm. um, you know he can he can walk in there and kind of be himself more, mm-hmm. as opposed to just getting lost in the class and being in the back, you know, rolling up little pieces of paper and, and reading when he's supposed to be working. Sure. So I think important things for him to have that access is, um, you know, for his 
for his well-being, emotional mm-hmm. well-being, and his self-esteem that sure. he's empowered mm-hmm. by being able to go when he needs to. In a place where he can succeed the best. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where people understand him. So as far as, I mean, that's the kind of accommodations my son is getting. Every kid's different. Some yeah. kids need way more, mm-hmm. you know, intensive things than others, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there was a place where I could have done that in my schooling, mm-hmm. in my time... You would have. I, I would have. Okay. I would have been like, you know what? I'm going to go over here to Miss So-and-So's room, and I'm going to finish up all my homework in here mm-hmm. and sit quietly and read or just hang out and talk with the mm-hmm. school teacher. Um, and that would have relieved a lot of social awkward situations sure. in school. So, I mean, I'm glad that he has that available to him, and that's a thing with IEPs that can be implemented now. Yeah, um, it's incredible how far it's come. Yeah, there was no IEP when I was a kid. Um, so I think there's a lot of good things about it, but I think also that it can be, you know, like a misdiagnosis. It can be, you know, misused as well, um, where it can be like a crutch, where a child would have been, you know, done better to stay with the class, mm-hmm. but they choose to stay in that comfortable space and not be stretched socially mm-hmm. when they really should be. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, you have to know yourself and know, is this too much for me to do? Or is it possible that this is 10% outside of my comfort zone and I could push through to it? Mm-hmm. And my story was that I would go into school at 5.30 in the morning in high school And I would do my homework with my chemistry teacher. I would do all of my homework just to be in her presence because she was a respectful adult that got me and in a way that none of my peers really did. Mm -hmm. And that's how I bridged the gap without, you know, going to special classes or going to a different, you know, for an hour into any kind of IEP situation. I knew that I should be you know, quote unquote mainstreamed, but I needed that special time Yeah, with a trusted adult that, you know, had a soft spot for people on the spectrum. Um, she has soft spot for another student as well. I saw that and I was like, oh, you're an ally of Asperger's. Okay. Can I come in early? Can I do my homework? And she's like, of course. And that made that transform my high school experience. Absolutely. So now when it comes to our listeners, any advice um, that you would give to them when it comes to leveraging their autism as their unfair advantage, what would you, what would your advice be given the life that you have lived knowing what you know? Um, I will have different experiences. Absolutely. I would say the things that you love the things that you love to do, whether it's create things, um, you know, Legos is my goodness, especially with kids these days. Legos mm-hmm. connects, um, sure. erector kits, different types of, um, you know, engineering, be it drawing. I mm-hmm. mean, drawing schematics or drawing portraits, um, book learning, just input on just yep. gaining knowledge on everything, taking notes on the books you're reading just for fun. Um, just different things like that. Find your find your niche or your niches mm-hmm. and the things that you really love and enjoy and just pursue those things like crazy. 
mm-hmm. and they'll keep you sane and they're, they and they're, <laughs> yeah. they're a safe spot. So, yeah, you know, you might be going through your social backwards times in high school mm-hmm. or, you know, in eighth grade, stressed out about going into high school or post-grad life and yes. trying to swim with the sharks in the corporate world. Yes. Or young adults, you know, yeah. out in the workforce for the first time. All those different situations. Don't forget to plug into the things that you love mm-hmm. and the things that you're exceptionally good at mm-hmm. because you are on the spectrum and you have a unique gift of strengths in those areas. Um, I think that it's very important to nurture that and to grow that. Mm-hmm. And then also to stretch yourself. Don't forget to stretch yourself um, in those areas that you're kind of testing the waters and maybe not sure if you want to go swimming, Mm -hmm. just, you know, walk along the beach for a little bit until you get comfortable enough to put your feet in the sand into the water Mm -hmm. and then take a little dip. Um, Even if it takes years, always stretch yourself. You'll be pleasantly surprised. at how far Um, you can get in a decade. And how much you might find a new niche. Correct. And um, when you were saying that, it made me think of an amazing book by Cal Newport, The book is entitled So Good They Can't Ignore You, and it's a book that argues against the point of doing what you love, um, which is often preached in our culture. Instead, he argues, do what you are the best at. If you are the best at finance or um, drawing, architecture, engineering, things that might not be flashy, but if you can be the very best at that, You'll have the autonomy. You'll have the financial rewards that come with it. You'll have the emotional rewards because you are successful again and again and again. And so when you went through that list of suggestions, it's like, do what you're great at. And like, if you are excellent at video games, esports is a real thing that is becoming almost like a major league sport. So what if you could be the next ninja playing Fortnite? Who knows? And so... I would challenge you as you look at like what you love to do, could you go all in on that thing? Even if it is video games and your mom doesn't want you playing any more video games, it actually could turn out to be something more lasting than you think. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacking Autism. Lastly, I'd love to connect with you guys on Twitter. My handle is iHackAutism, or you can connect with me on Instagram under the handle Hacking Autism Podcast. And don't forget to keep hacking.